In digital strategy, a lot of it is you're either going to build something new and hope that people come and you create ways for them to come or you jump into something that's already happening. And I think the latter is just happening way too much. I often wonder about brands or individuals who look at social as post by post by post versus the sum of what all of the posts mean. And I find that the people who get hung up on each individual post are the ones that are sort of getting a little bit too close to the content. Is getting too close to the content a problem? You have to kind of take a step or a few steps back and say, yeah, this is really important and critical to me. How do I make it important and critical to others? And it may be around just understanding their behavior. Ask what could be better, what's not working, does it make sense, would you share this if you saw it, and not just because you work on it. At the end of the day, we're all consumers. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are so excited to bring you another episode in the conversations with creatives series. We really enjoy the conversations that we've had with our previous guests, and this one is no different. Yeah, this episode, we feature uh, Keith Steckler, who is vice president and a digital strategist at MKTG. Uh, MKTG is a global lifestyle marketing agency that specializes in delivering strategic business-oriented marketing solutions for brands via sport uh, and entertainment industries. So really excited about having him on and uh, grateful that he took some time to sit with us uh, and chat a little bit. So we hope you enjoy episode 30 with Keith Steckler. The whole foundation of, of this of this episode sort of stemmed from um, a conversation that Keith, you and I had had briefly on Twitter about um, how LinkedIn just seems really passionate about getting people to wish other people happy birthday. Yes. Um, there is a, uh, I'm sure if you've, if, if, if you've been on LinkedIn, you've seen this, there's, there's kind of this meme that floats around about how LinkedIn is not Facebook and everybody that's like, got a million likes and everybody mm-hmm. champions that is just like the thing about LinkedIn. But yet, they take a major element of what makes Facebook Facebook, which is reminding people that it's someone's birthday. Why does LinkedIn feel the need to do that? You know, I, with any social network, they're really trying to get you to spend as much time with them as you can. And I think happy birthday is quite frankly, just another way for someone in sales to reach out to you. It's a it's a way for me to understand a piece of information on you that gives me another reason to cold email you or follow up or circle back or whatever you have um, to get in touch with you. But, you know, you're seeing them diversify and kind of grow some of their capabilities with um, content, articles and blogs, videos. So it's really turning much like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the others. I just find their user interface to be atrocious at times. So oh. that's that's my biggest pet peeve with them. I've tweeted um, a few times who works at UX at LinkedIn. I've never gotten a response. And I think that maybe tells you something, I hope. <laughs> They're hiding. <laughs> like, who are you? So I don't, Not- think, I don't think I've been on LinkedIn in, I don't know, maybe three years. Like, according to my LinkedIn profile, I probably still have a full-time job. And that's been 10 years since I've had one. So... 
I would probably also be annoyed by the design aesthetic. Am I missing anything? Should I join LinkedIn or should I go back to it? I guess I should say. You should take a look. If you really haven't been in that long a period of time, you should pop back. But, you know, I found some things get really decent engagement that I did not think would. Um, And there's some weird I'd love to, you know, look at a little bit under the hood and see what's going on. There's something where it'll just do nothing. And then after two, three hours, you'll get like a couple hundred views. And I don't know how that happened. And then something just catches. But, you know, I think my, my issue with a lot of these tech companies is the amount of data that they have on you and how little they act like that's important. Um, you know, with all the data, you know, whether you get an email like uh, dear valued customer, when you know exactly <laughs> who my name is, Link- LinkedIn is like, look, I think I could decipher if you are legit freelance, if you have been laid off, if you are currently looking and you get these, hey, congratulate Steve on uh, freelance or congratulate Steve on I'm looking for my new my next chapter. You know, it's like you kind of know what those things are and maybe we shouldn't be sending that uh, push alert out. I don't know if that was such a convincing case. (laughs) I I don't work for them, so do what you will. (laughs) I'll at least check it out. I think video stuff has has been doing very well um, across the board, but on LinkedIn as well. So if you want to put one of these on um, LinkedIn and see how it does, you know, give it a try. You know, we have done like on 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 my personal account, depending on what we're what we're talking about, we might cut some video from the episode that is relevant to, you know, the industry that I'm in. and, And I do see more people attracted to that kind of content. I mean, I, I do think it's, it's what video is on, on social now. So I, I, you know, as long as it's something that has a connection to the audience and their interest level, which I feel like you have more of a control on that on LinkedIn, because if you're connected with somebody, chances are it's because you have shared interests professionally in your career. Um, so it's almost way better than other social networks out there where you, you have more, spheres of influence or circles that you kind of run in. So we've seen some some success on on some of those posts I have at least. We don't really have a a PFC kind of presence on LinkedIn as an organization or as a as a brand yet, but that there is some truth behind that. Yeah, I think video um is looked upon quite favorably by the algorithms across the board, but you know, yeah, I mean LinkedIn, you know, and I've I've found the the strangest stuff will bring some of these connections out that I haven't talked to in years. And I can't tell, like, what is it that is popping up on their uh, feed or have they just ignored my content for the last three years? And this is the <laughs> one thing I just I, I don't know. I know Twitter for me is much more consistent. You know, you kind of know what's going to pop with the right people. And it tends to do that. LinkedIn is just a guessing game. And maybe that's why I'm so intrigued with it, because I can't cr- I can't quite figure it out yet. One of the things that I know sort of gets under your skin just from seeing a lot of uh, your 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 tweets is, you know, this element of random things that take place in our society that brands feel like they have to almost jump on or else they're going to, you know, miss out on an opportunity. And there's this general FOMO of these trends. And, you know, recently it's the egg um, or or the pineapple craze and, and you can go as far back you know, as I don't know, pull out another one, but there's this need to be on this bandwagon. And we were just having this conversation before we started, uh, we, we brought you in because Michelle and I were talking about, you know, the benefits of 
being involved in it because you want to be where the people are and where the attention is versus feeling like you're shoehorning yourself into something where you really don't belong. And I don't know if you're a fan. We have a lot of people who who listen to this episode who are, who are uh, fans of The Office. So I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, but there's an episode where uh, Phyllis is getting married and uh, Michael Scott's character is just hell bent on being a part of this wedding to the point where uh, Phyllis and her husband are, are putting, you know, cake into each other's mouth, which is a very traditional scene at a wedding. And Michael just has to run over and put the cake on his face too, and be a part of it. And that's what I like equate brands in this FOMO world, you know, acting like, um, why is there in your mind, is it just that the attention that, that they're seeking to be a part of something or do they, do they really believe that there's some kind of connection there between whatever this fad is and what they do? Yeah, I think I'm not an office guy, but that that analogy was perfect. I could see it. And that is exactly what brands do. It's also that uh, that meme with Steve Buscemi with the uh, skateboard where how do you do fellow kids? That's it. Yeah. (laughs) So, I I mean, in digital strategy, a lot of it is you're either going to build something new and hope that people come and you create ways for them to come or you jump into something that's already happening. And I think the latter is just happening way too much. Um, One of my consistent um, you know, tweets on Twitter, as as you notice, is just what is insert topical hashtag that makes no sense. What does that have to do with brands? So what yeah. does daylight savings time have to do with brands? And, you know, you'll never really get one or two people that answer that um, seriously who just haven't followed me long enough to know that I'm not being serious. <laughs> Inevitably, you're going to find that. And then I don't ever look at it, but either someone will send it or it just happens to I see it in my feed. Here is a brand going after daylight savings time or the pineapple or whatever it is. So, you know, unfortunately right now, I think viral is the KPI being snarky is the KPI. And, um, overall we're just seeing people are turning into brands and brands are turning into people. And that's, you know, kind of what is happening. Um, and I think early this year with a lot of social causes and, injustices, it's almost like a brand being woke is the new 2019 KPI. So, we still get briefs where, you know, I want this video to go viral. I want this thing to go viral. What do we do to go viral? And, you know, we kind of have to caution them and that's not a legitimate form of measurement. And, and why do you want to, but it's, it's all of it is really just brands trying to jump into what they think is, is happening right now. And, and even if one of those goes pretty successfully, what's the odds of, of somebody following you and getting into your brand and even making a purchase after that's, it's really low. I mean, I've, I don't know, maybe three or four, maybe five tweets have really done very well. Um, and I'm talking thousands, hundreds of thousands of um, impressions or likes, four follows, you know, so I can't mm-hmm. imagine a brand is getting legitimate and lasting, um, you know, value from these. So I don't know why we continue to chase it, if not just to you know, be written up in the trades or get retweeted. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's somebody's, you know, form of personal measurement. I can't imagine that marketing teams would have that as, as a form of success, but maybe it's true. Yeah. I don't see that as a form of success at all. And my experience has been the same as you. I'm more on Instagram more than any other uh, social platform, but this just happened to me recently where, you know, it was one of those situations where I just like threw up this post like kind of on a whim. I almost didn't post it. And for some reason, it just got way more likes than any other post. And I got like a few follows out of it. But 
you know, who's to say if those people even stuck around after that? So definitely. Those are always, those are always the posts. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's always the one that you're like, ah, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that. And you exactly. leave, you walk away and it's like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> so for, for brands in, in these instances, <clears throat> and is the risk greater than the reward? Because the consumer, I think today is so educated. Um, they're, they're so aware. It's something, you know, it, that I almost feel like they know when they're being sold some bullshit. So is the, is the risk for brands to get involved with something that their audience knows that it has nothing to do with them? Is it worth it? Is it worth the potential reward of a handful of followers or whatever that, that magical number is? I, I guess I would answer that with, I think you'd have to just be consistent with that. I would think, you know, Wendy's has done a pretty good job, but they've been consistent. You know what to expect. That's now their brand ethos. It's not just this one, we're going to capitalize on this, or it's the one tweet a week. It is consistently that is their brand voice tone. So they've embodied that. I think unless you go full on Wendy's, um, you are just, you're kind of all over the place. You're hit or miss. And, and to your point, people see through that. So no, I don't, I don't think it's worth it. Um, again, because it's tough to translate hundreds of thousands of engagements into sales or whatever you want them to do. And I have to imagine whatever that is, is not actually happening. So it's a, it's a straight social play and you know, it's, it's something to hopefully rise above others and be seen, but it, it doesn't do much for your brand. Um, and I'm just kind of generalizing based on whether it's a quick serve brand or a clothing brand, like whatever it is, I just don't think it's working. You had talked before about getting, you know, requests to have certain types of content go viral. When I first got into um, public relations, which is, you know, it's the industry that I'm in, but I do a lot more with, with, with digital strategy and digital content. Early on, I was doing a lot of web work and in this one organization that I was working in, I got kind of dubbed as the webmaster. And I was, I was told one day that, you know, I can make anything happen. And, and, and it was this very just uncomfortable feel of like owning a role that like people saw as like, well, that's this person over here who does that. I don't know anything about that. And it's sort of separate from what we're, what we're talking about doing, but he, he knows what he's doing. And I feel like the the role of the digital strategist in, in today's world is sort of kind of embodied that same or taken that same path. You were almost looked at early on with social media as like, oh, this person does the social media. Whereas right. we've seen sort of this, you know, it's rolling into now a structural part of how an organization, whether it's in marketing or whatever, operates. So can you reflect back on on your career and how the role has sort of evolved and how your specific tasks have sort of changed over over the years? Yeah, I, I also appreciate your comment about, you know, he does the social because it is so true. It's it's like we still live in a in a society where it's like break glass and get the social people or pull them out of the closet. It's you yeah. have to be much more pervasive with that. It's not a department. It's it's the way that we market and advertise and communicate. Um, social is the number one way people spend their time. So, you know, I, I heard social um, likened to a flood and it's either going to hit you at the ankles or it's going to drown you. And it's but it's still coming. And so people I, I still think there are people that think this thing's going to go away, which is it's fascinating. But yeah. um, I probably got involved eight 
years ago. So not at the very start. I would say the very start would be what, 10 years, maybe 11's pushing it. So I, I guess eight. Um, and at that time, it was really understanding the platforms and helping brands make sense of it because it was also new. And so like, do we belong here? And if so, what do we do specifically? And honestly, we're still doing a lot of that today with Snapchat and all these other platforms. It's like maybe as a brand, you don't need to exist there, but maybe we can do something with talent or an influencer. And that's how we get your brand there. But, you know, eight, 10 years ago and still very much today, it was like the Wild West. But I remember buying the first iPad when it came out. And that was back when you would bring that to a meeting and it would be fascinating and people would want to look at it and play with it. And holy shit, you're taking notes on that. What, like, where's your laptop? And so it was kind of like my ticket to, you know, your comment about here's the guy that does the social. He has an iPad and everyone's like, oh, cool. And there was no other form of legitimizing um, oneself at that point. You walk into a meeting with an iPad, you're the social digital person. Awesome. You've now have a seat at the table. So I think it's de depending on, you know, now that we've broken strategists into so many things, content strategy, digital strategy, social strategy, there's all sorts of things, engagement strategy. Um, at the end of the day, you're really like a consultant. You really should be looking at things and saying no to them, um, whatever might be cool or new, unless it really makes sense. You're an editor. You're helping to prune. You're not just helping to prune the feeds, but the brain's approach. And you want to be very meticulous in what you do and, and how you talk. And, you know, you want to try to remind them that we're all consumers at the end of the day. So you're navigating the platforms. You're understanding what's working from an analytics standpoint, from a measurement standpoint, from a creative standpoint. Um, and you're helping them understand what's right for their brand because every brand is different. Um, but in in the early days, I guess eight-ish years ago, I was on that wave of when Facebook was really becoming a full-fledged website for brands. And there were tabs and there was all sorts of things you could do. And so brands were thinking, do I even need a website? Uh. Um, and I think a lot of that is still true today. We get a lot of people who wonder if I can't run my entire business on Instagram because look at a Glossier and look at the brands that can, Everlane, that came out of Instagram only. And so I think it's no surprise that Instagram, a Facebook property, is bringing much the same discussion it had eight years ago with Facebook. You know, can I exist as a brand only on social? And if you look at what happened today, the answer to that is no, <laughs> yeah. um, because I don't know when you're releasing this, but today Instagram and Facebook had an outage and probably is still happening um, as far yeah, as I can check. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And as far as I can tell, the longest that I'm aware of. So. That, in short, is why, no, you don't want it to only exist on a platform. You want to have, you know, things that you own, whether it's a blog or a video series or a podcast, you know, things that you can do and, and put your time into if one of these things just up and goes away. I don't think Facebook will because of the scale, but um, you have to be mindful of that. How do you work with brands or companies who may not understand or see the light and the importance of all the things that you're talking about, about understanding audience and understanding channels and what's best for the brand when you're trying to speak a language that, you know, not to not to insult anybody, but might not necessarily come as simple to them. Um, how do you navigate those conversations when you're trying to explain something that they might not necessarily be very fluent in? Yeah, it's tough. And I think it varies based on the client. I think overall, if you have a certain level of trust with them, I think you're you're kind of 
in a better position to explain, to say, look, let's do some tests and learns. Like, what can we do to help 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 you understand that this is going to work? Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. There's budgets, there's staffing, there's, you know, hiring of the right people on the brand side if they want to remain involved. And a lot of times, you know, we'll see certain platforms on, you know, brand plans for a year, two, three years down the road. And again, like who's to say that this platform is going to exist in two to three years. Um, but you're sort of saying that's when we feel like we'll be ready and, and that's okay. We have to figure out another way to get your content out there or to do something remarkable on social. So that's part of the job. I mean, you kind of have to think through things and, and understand where a brand is and where their priorities are. And, you know, I think as a consumer, a lot of brand managers see the Wendy's stuff, see the, you know, whatever is is hitting in social. And some of them are emailing and saying, hey, what's our version of this? And some are trying to figure out how we even make this work for them as a brand. But I think it's because they really put a hard delineation between me as a consumer and me as a marketer. And I'm trying to help them understand you are one in the same. And if you're not approaching your marketing as a consumer, it's just not going to work. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to look at it and say, would I care about this? Would I share this? Um, and that's part of part of the role. So it's, it's a it's a long game with a lot of people. And at the end of the day, you just want to have trust and 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 let them know that you know you're out for the best interest and i think people come around but it's um it's a stepping stone you kind of have to do some small things show some value and then hopefully you can grow it from there keith you've already shared your uh, distaste for the LinkedIn interface. And just from following you on Twitter for a bit now, um, I know that you have an appreciation for good design, which I appreciate. My background is in graphic design. How do you let that influence the work that you do? I mean, I feel like there is a really uh, delicate balance when it comes to aesthetics and functionality. It's definitely something that, that I struggle with because my background is in print design. And, you know, while I, I have designed pretty much like every website that I've, I've been a part of, I always run into frustration because, you know, I, I just want it to look pretty, but it, it has to work. I think with everything you're, you're trying to make sure that you can do the best you can in social. And sometimes we set time limits on things just because we know we have to get stuff out. It doesn't mean that, you know, this has to take an hour, two, three hours, and then it's going up. But it's it's just to kind of manage one creative's day, you know, because so much is existing in mobile, you have to be thumb stopping, you have to grab their attention. And so, you know, I think we're fortunate because the agency I work in is predominantly in sports and entertainment. And we follow a lot of the sports teams, I think a lot of the college teams and even high school have been blown away by some of these um, groups are really investing in their teams and their equipment. And I love it. And I think that's the kind of stuff that we take inspiration from because some of them are doing better than, than the professionals. But you really do want to stand out and have a aesthetic that I think your fans will come to appreciate and look for. I mean, not everything can be so um, crazy and disjointed. It's got to really feel like it's from the same family um, or look. And I think that's the part that takes the time. And we spend, you know, the proper time before certain seasons kick off to say, here's our look. These are some of the pieces we might do. And then they evolve over the course of the year or the season, but they feel like they're all coming from the same place. And that's how we treat 
um, and really put emphasis on design. Do you ever look at audience behaviors on any of your platforms and you do you let um, those statistics like play into any of those decisions? I'm telling you, I've interviewed a few creatives in the last six months that have been Google AdWords and um, Google Analytics certified. And I'm kind of like, wait a second, let's talk about that. And all of them say, I want to know how my stuff's doing. Like if I'm designing a website, is it working? And they can talk competently about it. And I love that because I came up in the business as an account person who once he worked at an agency that had strategy and planning said, okay, that's what I want to do. And then that fell into digital strategy. So for me, it was important to know, um, you know, at a cursory level, a lot of things. And then I could say, Hey, you know, I don't know that particular answer. Let me get, you know, that answer for you, but to be able to talk competently. So to see creatives want to, and legitimately care about the analytics and the measurement to say, Hey, let's talk about that. How'd that work? Did it perform well? What do we think was the reason? Um, and there's so many variables, you know, it could be when it was posted, um, in our business, we know there's like this hockey stick of time window that you have before some, a moment happens in sports. And so we work a lot in NASCAR. And so towards the end of the season, if we think there's, you know, five, six guys that have a legitimate chance of winning the race or maybe winning, you know, the whole season, um, we'll create graphics so that we're ready. And a lot of stuff gets left, um, on the cutting room floor, if you will, it doesn't get used and it's a lot of preparation, but we have to understand what's performing well. And, and sometimes it could be copy. Um, I don't think people a B test enough. It's hard in social because you don't want to post the same thing twice. A lot of people do that in banner ads and stuff, but you can do it in social in different ways um, if you just stagger your stuff and talk about the same topic in a different way. Admittedly, I don't think a lot of people do it enough, and I think we need to spend more time with it. It should be part of planning and, and status meetings and you know, sort of recapping how that thing went because social is really never done. I think a lot of people think, okay, we got this campaign out, we're good. Um, it's not like a print ad. It's not like launching a website and even that would need maintenance. Social is like this recurring pruning of like, how's this going? Is this working? What happens if we do really well? What happens if we don't? So, yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of the analytics, some of them are tough. I, it's hard to get proper analytics on like Instagram stories and a lot of these things that people are spending you know, I think it was 80 something percent of the time that people spend in Instagram and spend in stories. But I don't think advertisers really can understand um, what's happening with a lot of the content they're putting out on behalf of brands unless they have access to the platform. And not a lot of brands want to give that. So it's um, you do the best you can with the analytics that you can. And a lot of the native um, platforms will give you enough. But, you know, there's always there's always a need to do more. The whole piece on how how social is really never ending. Uh, you know, we we've used the analogy a lot that it's it's like a relationship. I mean, you're you're just constantly trying to continue to grow it and make it more solid, and it's never really ever perfect. You're just continuing to. You may like it, you know, but it's just you're you're constantly working at it. And I often wonder about brands or individuals who are look at social as post by post by post versus the sum of what all of the posts mean. And I find that the people who get hung up on each individual post are the ones that are sort of getting a little bit too close to the content. They're getting a little bit too close to 
does that look right? Does this look right? Does that is 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 the font too big on this? Is the color right on that? Michelle's laughing because this isn't her, but sometimes we get into these discussions. Is getting too close to the content a problem? You're making me rethink a lot of my relationships. <laughs> I I heard you say that and I said, Wow, am I am I treating people in my relationships the right way? Um No, you're right. I, I think a lot of people want certain results on each post and that's where you have to get away from you know these vanity engagements and metrics you know if if you want half a million likes or retweets i can buy that for you let's throw that out that's not you know something we should be striving for but yeah i think your your point is is correct take things in aggregate whether it's a certain campaign or the last quarter or whatever time you want to do and say you know what was our best post last month um, last three months, six months, whatever. So you do have to kind of look at things in aggregate. I do think, and I think we, we talked about this a little bit, but I do think, um, yeah, getting too close to the content's bad. I think we stop, sometimes people stop thinking and approaching and acting it like a consumer. Again, like if I'm home, um, looking at this, would I care about this brand message? If I didn't work on it, if I wasn't at the brand, you know, I spent a few years, I don't know, two years in, in healthcare um, and pharmaceutical ad agencies. And you know, there's always these briefs of like, who's the target? Doctors. And I'm like, cool. So they're human. Um, at the end of the day, they're going to watch SportsCenter. They're going to read the same magazines and things. So like, why are we treating them like they're some you know, alien? And I think a lot of brand managers and brands feel like their consumers are you know, this distinct segment. Or now it's, you know, everyone's cast as millennial. We're always after the millennial. So yeah, you, it's it's hard and, and you have to caution people to get too close to it because at the end of the day, you really should approach it like a consumer. You should throw a lens on it. You know, is this good? Um, I think people get too close to it. So they say, surely we came up with this. It must be great. You know, take a step back and bring someone in who doesn't work on this brand every day and be critical. And I think it's also for copy. You know, it's amazing how just fresh eyes. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but someone who hasn't looked at it as long as you have come in and within a few seconds are like, that doesn't look right. Or, what, what if you did this word instead of this word? And you're like, oh yeah. And you just feel like, man, I would have never got that. But, you know, ask what could be better? What's not working? Does it make sense? Would you share this if you saw it? And not just because you work on it. At the end of the day, we're all consumers. And I think, yeah, we can get way too close to it. And it's, it's not great. I had a conversation earlier today with a, a colleague of mine who was talking to a, a superintendent in one of the school districts that we partner with. And uh, the superintendent was sort of lamenting that, you know, no one's no parents are coming out to these curriculum nights where they're trying to talk about, you know, growing, you know, certain types of curriculum or going in different directions and why, you know, it's really important. And, it's, you know, they need to know this stuff. And he was just like, they just don't care. And she was just like, well, I don't think it's that they don't care. They're parents. And do you know a parent who's not busy in the evening that they're going to have an hour and a half to just say, OK, I'm going to leave here. I hope everything runs all right or I have to, you know, get, you know, child care or whatever that, you know, it, it's almost like you have to understand their habits. And instead of saying, like, this is so important, which it is, find a way to deliver it to them so it fits their lifestyle and they can understand the importance. So whether that's, you know, we had this curriculum night and here are the five major main points that came out of it and send it to them in your in a mass notification system. So that way, before they go to bed at night, when they're, you know, they're perusing their phone, they'll come across that and they'll prioritize it because it's an email from the school district. It's not something that came from you know, uh, you know, living social or whatever, you know, whatever the, the brand is like, it's an actual 
of relevance to their life. Yeah, I think in that case, it was important to him or her, and and you can't understand why it's not important to all, and it's just not always going to be the case. I was laughing because one of the first things I did when I enrolled my daughter in daycare was they give you this companion app to see how she's doing during the day, and there's updates, and what did she eat, and how much did she eat, and here's photos, and the app is terrible, and I tried to like email whoever made it and say, let me help you, um, because... <laughs> This could be so much cooler. And it looks like it's starting. Um, some of the things are starting to work. Like they never used to email you updates and now they'll email you a picture. So it's kind of cool. You're at work and you get an email. Oh, hey, that's what she's doing. I can't, you know, to your point, I can't always jump into this app or remember. But when I'm home, it's like one of the most important things for me to do is look at the app and see what happened and and share her pictures on our, um, you know, our, our photo stream. So, yeah, I think um you have to kind of take a step or a few steps back and say, yeah, this is really important and critical to me. How do I make it important and critical to others? And it may be around just understanding their behavior, um, sending the email later, as you noted, you know, when they're consuming will be in front of them. Back in our earlier episodes, or I felt like probably most of last year, we were always starting an episode with one of us getting back from somewhere. I travel quite a bit. We, we make lots of jokes about how Steve doesn't like leaving his house, but even Steve did a lot of traveling last year. And Keith, we know that hashtag airport living is a big part of your Twitter presence. Tell us more about that. It's, um, I find airports to be a zoo, I think. So <laughs> Six years ago, I guess, 2013 was the first time I tweeted it. Now, I was not the first one to use it. I have looked into searching, and there's a woman who used it before me, so I won't claim that. Okay. But it was, I remember it so vividly. I It was a work trip. Um, I was early at the gate, and the plane was going to take off for, you know, an hour. And I watched a guy in a suit pace on his phone, you know, yelling into it, making sure everyone knew how important he was. and. Mm -hmm. There was somebody else with no shoes on and you look to the right and some girls sprawled out on the floor because um, she's charging her phone and she's laying next to the, you know, outlet. So there's, you know, what people decide to wear and how people don't care what they wear and just etiquette. And then it gets into pricing. And so there's so much that I share, but I love people that are just outraged, like legit outraged at a $10 yogurt parfait, or why is my flight delayed 20 minutes? Don't you know who the fuck I am? So I, <laughs> I love it. And I, I travel enough. I don't feel like every time I do, I have to get an airport living out there, but just perusing, you know, airport and the top, like the use of the term airport and Twitter's top 10 tweets it's going to be either a Korean band who's, a, who's arrived at an airport or something very interesting has happened at the airport. But it's everyone thinks they fly private and they're so damn important. And I love everything about it. I think it it stems from my, you know, I think I, I wanted to initially go to school to be a psychologist. And then that lasted probably a year. And Strategy and brand planning and really understanding users and their behaviors is kind of what I'm into. Um, it's part of the job. And so when I go to airports, I'm fascinated. It is, it's wild. So are you okay with other people using it? Like if I start, cause I Do feel it. like, I feel like you've inspired me now and like I'll, I'll CC you on it. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up the etiquette and like things that people wear in the airport. Like I was going to bring this up. And maybe you, maybe you feel the same way or maybe you feel the opposite. And I have a feeling I'm going to make a lot of people upset by saying this. But 
I'm kind of a little bit of, of an old soul, so it makes me really upset when I fly or I go into airports and people are in their pajamas. I'm like, we're still out in public. Like, okay, you don't have to wear a suit, but like, this is still society. Like I, like you said, like I know the prices Michelle are higher. The airport like Scarlett O'Hara and Gone uh, <laughs> with the Wind. I just like I don't know that that irks me. Do do you feel that guys need to be traveling in a suit? No. I mean, I think okay. it's really nice when they do. I mean, ideally, I think everyone, like they did in the old days, should dress up when they're traveling. But just having everyday clothes on and, and wearing your shoes is enough for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I, I don't know what other point in our day we could get away with flip-flops and sweatpants. And it's weird that we'll get into a car, whether we drove it or not, and go to the airport and... And even the short flights, I mean, the day trips, we're not talking about we're going to Australia. So I'm putting on, you know, pajamas like I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't honestly know how much of it is driven by, you know, the post 9-11 stuff and people needing to take off stuff. But, yeah, I think that's when it really started and people have not gone back to civilization, unfortunately. Well, I look forward to sharing material from future travels. Bring it on. <laughs> I have an entire column in TweetDeck. I won't miss it. Bring it on. Love it. <laughs> When's this next trip coming up now? In a week. In a week from today. I'm, That's right. I'm extra excited now. <laughs> I'm traveling a week from today, too. So I'm going to expect stuff from you. All um, right. <laughs> do it. Pressure's on now. I will be home in case any of you are wondering. <laughs> um, so, Keith, we have a section uh, on on this episode when we have guests on, at least, that we kind of do called The Profile. And we run down a bunch of random topics that uh, we feel like would give sort of our listeners a better feel for who you are. Um, so, Michelle is going to kick us off here. All right. I feel like we kind of spoiled this one already. But maybe you'll surprise us. What is your favorite social platform? MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> that is surprising. It's coming back today. Today's Facebook outage is we're on the rise. Um, no, it's Twitter. I I put a lot of time into Twitter. I've made a lot of friends. I've gotten two jobs from it. It's it's my platform. That's awesome. Do you, did you have a MySpace page at any point? I did, yeah. That was back when I was working in music, so it was such a fun but site. It, and, yeah. yeah, it was great. I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but sometime in like the last, it must have been in the last year if I talked about it on the podcast, I like came across like my MySpace profile still exists, but I don't know any of my login and like the email that I have associated with it. Like, I don't know the password to that email because it was so long ago. So that makes me very nervous that there's this profile out there from like me from a different era that someone could possibly find. <laughs> That's the internet. I've been, um, I've been really digging into, you know, as as kids, I'm a parent of a two year old. So as as kids who are growing up in an era where they know nothing but social and their lives are, you know, pushed and thrusted on the social from the moment they're born, I'm reading so much into the things that um, you probably wouldn't think of when you share a photo, but where it's taken, when it's taken and your comment, all of that put into context, I get a ton of information about this kid. So yeah, I think um, that's the internet. So your fears are what I don't want my daughter to have, mm. you know, years from now. But yeah, there's so much live journals and tumblers that I'm sure people still have that they can't figure out how to get into and delete. It's only going to get worse. Oh, be optimistic. Come on. 
<laughs> but That'll also, okay. but also good things to come out of it too. There you go. Okay, book that you've read recently that you couldn't put down. Okay, so it it was not recent. I'll um I'll tweak it a, a little bit, but Underthink It by Adam Pierno. Um, so he's a guy I connected with on Twitter. Became quite friendly. Um, he leads strategy at an agency out west in Arizona, and he really, as he was looking to train his, um, you know, strategist, couldn't find you know good educational materials, and so he wrote this book. I think he's writing a second, but it's very quick. Um, it's written very matter of fact, and it's written in a way where he crosses things out, and it's just a nice little workbook. So I think anyone in our business as as the word strategy evolves and doesn't sit in a department but everyone fastens themselves in some type of strategist i think you'd be wise to pick that up cool good recommendation we will add that uh, in the show notes what do you find to be more satisfying a good cheeseburger or the typeface on the menu where you ordered the cheeseburger off of oh boy that's a toss-up um (laughs) It, it would have to be a cheeseburger always, but since I cannot eat them daily, the typeface is honestly the most rewarding consistently. So it, I, if I can cheat it and get both in there, I'll try. Um, but no, I'm I'm a typeface admirer first and foremost, and that will drive a lot of the cheeseburger decisions I make. I'm always fascinated by the questions that you'll get. Um, I've listened to some podcasts that you've been on, and there's there's this fascination around the, the cheeseburger obsession. Of course, anybody who follows you on Twitter would see that immediately because you have the emoji following your, your name. But like, it doesn't seem like it's like a big, like, you know, all of a sudden I just became this huge cheeseburger fan. Like that's pretty realistic. Like cheeseburgers are good, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, um, the, the subplot to all of this is I tried to, and if anyone's at Twitter, just shut the podcast off right now. I tried to buy the handle at Cheeseburger, and I came incredibly close. We got the PayPal transi- transaction happening. He took my money, and then he locked the account. <gasps> and so I had uh, PayPal reverse the charge. But no, I've been after at Cheeseburger for two years now, and that's part of you know, the, um, the whole thing here. But he's blocked me. I, can't, I don't know how often he's tweeted. So if one of you can help me out, if he hasn't tweeted in a year, I can take it. I can't look at it. So that's part of it too. If you oh, really, there's so many plot lines of this. It's beyond me just <laughs> enjoying a cheeseburger. I, I wish I, I wish I could say that was the extent of it, Steve. But there's so much more. Well, now I'm like, like feverishly running to Twitter right now to see the last time that he tweeted. I need, I need, let's do it. Let's don't break it follow on him podcast. though. Don't give him that satisfaction or her. Uh, last time, uh, August thirteenth, twenty seventeen. So you oh. are well in the clear here. I'm on Twitter right now. Let's let's wrap this up. I got to get this. Yeah. <laughs> let's fire through these last couple here. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, that actually might answer the next question, which is what keeps <laughs> you up at night? Yeah, that. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 my two year old. Um, but honestly, like I I sleep well at night. It's it's when something like my daughter or something wakes me up and then my mind just starts and then it you know doesn't stop. So. In that case, I have an issue getting back to sleep, but I don't have a whole lot of things that keep me up or prevent me from going to sleep. And thankfully, um, knock on wood. Uh, what do you wish that you were better at? Um, probably design. I can appreciate it, but I can't do it myself. I'd love to be better at Photoshop or video editing software. I'd like to be able to create more. 
Um, so I guess in lieu of that, I just keep people around me who can do it well, which I guess is, is good too. Now, do you cheat at all with like some of the web design tools that are out there? Like, you know, Spark or, or Canva, or are you just straight like I can't? I talk, I talked to Michelle about that, and it's almost like I might as well just be cursing. <laughs> so, like, does that does that do you dabble in any of that? No, I haven't gotten into that. I've okay. I've I have I don't know if you put it in the same bucket. I have really enjoyed Squarespace for my website. Um, I in in the early days, you know, taught myself HTML and some form of CSS, and I was starting to get into JavaScript and I just stopped, but you know, that was equal parts cool and frustrating because like one period or one thing could throw the whole thing off. And then you're like, what is going on? Um, but it was kind of cool to know that. And I love what Squarespace has done. I just think it's, it's super easy to get stuff up and out there. And I have so many talks to college kids where I'm like, guys with Squarespace or Wix and, um, social, like this stuff costs you hardly anything. Why don't you have stuff on the internet? Why are you applying with a resume? Apply with something, do something. Yeah. So no, I haven't dabbled into that stuff. I think it helps um, from a speed and like a organization standpoint, but now we're, you know, we're in the Adobe suite and InDesign and you know, all that stuff. Best piece of advice you've ever received. Ooh. You know, I, I think about this one a lot. Um, your success in life is largely dependent on how many uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. That's I'll let great. that one sink in. But if you think about it, and the reason it haunts me is, you know, things like getting a raise, being treated well, when you have to fire somebody, like the way people think about how you handle those conversations, um, super helpful. And, you know, I think me personally, I don't know if Somebody told me that or maybe somebody told me that. But, you know, years ago, things would like affect me a lot and I would dwell on them a lot. It would consume me. Maybe that was at a point in my life when I did have trouble sleeping and now I don't. Um, but then as you go like a year from now, two years from now, those things really don't matter as much anymore, if at all. And so now I try to be mindful of that and I say, like, will I care about this as much a year from now as I do today? And the answer is normally no. And so that really helps put things into perspective and allows me to act on whatever it is or just simply forget it. I love that little trick. I, do, I use that all the time. The will this matter? I even say like in a month from now, will you even remember yeah. this? It helps so much. Yeah, I think in the moment you're so consumed with it and it's the only thing you can think about. And if you can try to get out of that headspace and say, okay, it's a year from now, do I remember that? Chances are you probably don't. Who is the person who you'd like to trade places with for a day? Uh, Steve. Oh, good oh, answer. Are you sure? Steve, Steve me, Steve, or Steve Jobs? or like? <laughs> if your name no, is Steve. No, not Steve Jobs. If that would be a bad Steve. one. Well, yeah. Steve Jobs in his heyday. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. No, if, if you have a name, Steve, I, I want to trade places with you. No, I... <laughs> I don't know if he'd want to do what I do, but I would love to trade places with Charles Barkley on a NBA on TNT night. I just, that show, if I can stay up for it, it's one of the most humorous things um, with Shaq and Ernie and all those guys. So I love it. Turner Sports has really, they got quite quite a little corner going, you know, with, with, with their, you know, with the, the programming that they have now with with the with the NBA and the playoffs and they have you know they have the, the divisional playoffs with baseball and the championship series like they've they've carved out quite a little market for themselves they certainly have and they look like they're having fun and to me that's that's what I'd love to be doing it's great what excites you most about the future of digital 
I think honestly, like we're just getting started. And I know that sounds ridiculous because we're 10 years later, but it's still very much true. I think there's still so much more work to be done. I think there's so much new tech and platforms that we'll be, you know, using so ubiquitously that we haven't even been exposed to yet. So to me, digital makes my life so much easier, which I love. Um, and I think that's what excites me most about the future of it. Um, last question on the profile. How do you define success? Honestly, it's like being a good person. I think being able to look in the mirror and know that you're doing the right thing, um, like no matter what that means to you or what that might cost you personally. And I think being able to know that you got to where you did the right way is super important. And I think there's a sense of comfort and like life direction you have with that. It, it, it guides all your decisions that you typically make. And so back to, you know, having those uncomfortable conversations at the end of the day, I just want to know that I'm doing the right thing and, and people will maybe not be happy with me in the moment, but they'll look back on it and go, you know what, he made the right call or he did the right thing for me in my career. So that to me is success. And I think the greatest compliments are the people you unfortunately have to part ways with, um, you know, professionally who go on months, years, whatever, and look back and send you a note and say, you know what, you were right on that. And, or you gave me the kick I needed and now I love what I'm doing. So to me, that's success. There's, there's no real way to measure that, but you know, you just kind of feel good as a human at the end of the day. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media, tag us at pod for creatives and let us know what stood out to you.